This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk. For Thursday, August the 1st, I'm your host, D.A. Everyone was wondering around the trade deadline, what would the Yankees do? They desperately needed starting pitching, and they were already looking up at the Houston Astros, according to most insiders' minds, in the American League and the Dodgers overall. Well, guess what? Turn of events. The Yankees didn't get anything and the Astros landed the big fish. Zach Granke, former Cy Young Award winner and six-time All-Star, is headed to the Astros, a rotation that already has Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. What a 1-2-3 lineup this is to begin your pitching rotation in any postseason series. So let's hear from MLB insider Bob Nightingale on how this whole thing came down with Clinton Kamla on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Not only have I not seen seen Zach Greinke's name connected to the Astros, I haven't even really seen Zach Greinke's name come up in, in trade rumors at all, right? So can you talk to me about the process of the Astros, you know, acquiring Zach Greinke? Yeah, uh, the Diamondbacks, you talked to them just a couple of days ago. Uh, nobody was even asking about him. So, you know, 15 teams on his no trade list. I think they thought the contract was untouchable. So they made their move in uh, – you know, and look what happened. I don't. I don't think anybody thought he was going to be uh, uh, moved. Just making too much money, seventy-seven million dollars so owed to him. You know the. Uh, you know now the uh, Astros are picking up fifty-three of it. We're still a lot of money. You know, probably gives them the uh, safe, safe, safety net now with Garrett Cole likely living at the end of the season. So I just think with the money attached to Granke, and no one even thought twice that he'd get moved. So, Bob, let me follow up in terms of Kyle Tucker because there was the report a couple of days ago that the Astros backed off of possibly trading for Noah Syndergaard because they did not want to give up Kyle Tucker. So talk to me about the Astros getting Zach Greinke without having to give up Kyle Tucker. Obviously, there were some uh, big-time prospects that went to Arizona in this transaction, but talk to me about Kent, uh, about Kyle Tucker remaining in Houston and the Astros still getting Zach Greinke. Yeah, and then you have to give up Tucker. They have to get their pitchers, you know, Whitley or those guys either. So, uh, no, it's just, you know, I think for the, for them to have the Diamondbacks pay down from that contract, I think that's where they gain more prospects. The more prospects you make and then you give them up, you know, the more, uh, the more money that the Diamondbacks would have to pay. So, uh, yeah, so they keep their best guys. And, hey, look, the Astros get these guys and they, uh, you know, they – develop and draft and sign these guys burn anybody really and so by doing by doing that they probably figure you know what we'll, we'll go grab some more prospects here uh you know and develop them the next few years 
Bob, we had Robert Flores of the MLB Network on a, a couple of days ago, and it was music to our ears here in Houston when you hear him mention the Houston Astros in the same category with the L.A. Dodgers, the New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox. And I'm just talking about the most historic uh, organizations in baseball. It, it, to be mentioned in that group is absolutely music to our ears. I want to ask you this. Those are obviously the powerhouses right now as 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 we sit uh, today. Is Houston the favorite to win the World Series in that bunch, in your opinion? Absolutely. Just doing a column right now for USA Today and saying, uh, you know, uh, go ahead and go ahead and start the parade. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to touch the Astros. I said this, you know, this will be the day, July thirty first, two thousand nineteen, when the you know the Astros win the win the World Series and they spared us from one of the dullest trade deadlines in ages. I mean, it was horrible until this trade came down. What an amazing stroke of genius by Jeff Luno and that front office in Houston. They've already won a World Series. They don't have to go all in every year, but they want more. And trading away four prospects, none of which were their number one prospect in Kyle Tucker, was a huge win. And grabbing a guy like Granke that not only was going to help this year, but you've got him on your roster for the next two years after this, means three postseason runs with Granky in your uniform. That's a steal, and the Astros should be applauded because if you are an Astros fan, you are thankfully rooting for a team that does everything right. They draft and develop well. They're not happy with just winning one World Series championship. They're aggressive, they're smart, and they're going to keep you in the championship conversation and never relax. I love it. One of the other big names, surprisingly, went to a team that's still sub-500, the New York Mets, as GM Brody Van Wagenen acquired Marcus Stroman from the Blue Jays. Again, many people thought that he might be headed to the Yankees, but instead, he's a Met. So why did the Mets, who are, again, under 500 at this point, add Stroman? Here's Van Wagenen with Mike Francesa on WFAN in New York. You obviously uh, sent the whole baseball world spinning with the Stroman deal a couple of days ago. Your philosophy on that deal? Well, I think the the focus really was how could we improve our club, you know, now and going forward. And there were few opportunities where we felt like there were high impact players that uh, that could, you know, maintain team control, not only through this, the rest of the season, but also as we look towards 2020. And, and Marcus was a guy that we'd had a lot of conversations about last off season. had stayed in touch with the Blue Jays front office over the course of the months that have followed. And, you know, ultimately we're able to culminate in a deal that we feel like uh, is going to give our, ourselves a real chance to, to maintain our, our pitching strength and our pitching depth, you know, as we go, uh, as we go head into the next, uh, next year and a half. So he wasn't a move just for this year specifically. No, definitely not. I mean, okay. all the moves that we we considered, and as we looked at the team this year, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago. We we knew we're underdogs. You know, we are, and we've got still a, a steep steep hill to climb here over the course of the next two months. But we want to owe it, or we felt like we owed it to the players in that clubhouse to try to stay in this thing, build off the momentum they had, but most importantly, be smart about looking looking to 2020 and make sure we had a team that could compete as we uh, as we go forward. Did you? It listened to offers for Stroman at all over the last couple of days? 
No, our focus really was not not okay. to grab a player and then move a player. We, okay. we felt okay. like Marcus was somebody that we were going to have have part of here and okay. his local roots, his charisma. I think he's a perfect fit for us. Did the play of the team the last couple of days, the improved play of the team since the All Star break, the winning streak right at this moment, did that? in any way change your philosophy where you kept a player that you might have moved a week ago? No, I think our philosophy was to make good baseball moves. And um, if there would have been a baseball move that we felt like would have improved our, our lot this year or next year, we would have done it. But, you know, the guys that are on that, uh, on that team or on that road trip right now, we feel good about. We know that there's, there's a commitment to winning. We know that they're, they're fighting and they're not going to give up. And um, any move we made would not have been a concession for this year, but more of a, a building block to something down the road. Uh, Syndergaard, Wheeler, Diaz were all being mentioned very heavily over the last couple of days. Uh, one at a time, did you come close to in any way trading Syndergaard? The Syndergaard, Wheeler, Diaz, those were the three Yes, names. yes. Yeah. So all, all three of those guys are... You listen to deals for, you listen well, to deals for all three, right? They're high impact. Right. They're really good players that in Diaz and Syndergaard's case, they have multiple years of control. In Wheeler's case, he's got, uh, he's got a couple months before he gets to free agency. But all three of those players were going to impact somebody in a pretty meaningful way. All three of those guys are going to impact us in a really meaningful way. Um, and Diaz and Syndergaard, that, that holds true beyond the 2019 season. And in Wheeler's case, we were communicative to his, to his agents. We were communicative to him that we believe in the player. And if there's an opportunity to have him help us in 2019 and maybe even continue our relationship beyond, we, uh, we wanted to, to give, that, uh, give that a chance. And we would only have moved him in a situation that, uh, that put us in a better better combination of now and in the future. Um, is it, were you surprised that there wasn't more action for these pitches, or did you turn down what you thought were pretty square offers for these players? Uh, I can't even begin to tell you how many incoming calls we got, Mike. I mean, the, the amount of conversations starting about a week ago, um, in Zach's case, probably even, even before the All-Star break, but the, uh, the, the amount of calls that we got and the, the different ideas that were floated by us you know, was pretty, pretty eye-opening. Uh, at the end of the day, though, we felt like we didn't have to make a move, and we were able to do the Stroman deal that we wanted to make a move. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think we were, we were ready to pull the trigger on any of the situations that were, that were in front of us. That player control for next season's a big deal. But let's see. Maybe Stroman can help the Mets out this year. Surprisingly, the Mets have had a surge recently, and they've won 12 of their last 16 games. And outside of a couple of brutal losses in San Francisco and in extra innings, the Mets would right now be 500 or better, and it makes you wonder if they've got something cooking right now and preseason expectations might have just taken a little bit longer to bake. But whatever the case is, the Mets are playing well, and perhaps Stroman is a guy that can help out a rotation that already has DeGrom and Syndergaard and Wheeler right now. Mats has proven he can be pretty solid as well. Stroman 1-5 through five makes the Mets pitching rotation very interesting in the final 60 days of this Major League Baseball regular season. Over to football. Tonight, if you can believe it, is the Hall of Fame game already. Broncos and Falcons. And one of the guys getting into the Hall of Fame this year is one of the best safeties ever. Perhaps the best. Ed Reed, after a crazy productive career with the Baltimore Ravens. And then at the tail end of his career going to other teams. But he made his name with the Ravens. And so John Harbaugh saw it up close and personal. 
He saw the playmaking. Ed Reed could get a pass intercepted, pick up a fumble, and take it to the house. And perhaps sometimes with a couple of laterals that could make Harbaugh's hair turn gray. Here was the former head coach of Ed Reed and the current head coach of the Ravens. On with Scott and Jeremy on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. Keep bringing up this one word with every guest we've had, lateral. What goes through a coach's <laughs> mind when he's uh, running it back and he pitches it to someone else or is trying to make something happen? Well, i got to be honest with you. I miss the good laterals. I just got bad <laughs> laterals, you know, when I got here. You know, and he knows that. He knows that. It's like, I'm like, well, we had this rule. We had, we had a rule. We still have it. You know, you, you're on the list. You there's a list. And uh, you're on the list of whether you can lateral it or be lateral too. Otherwise, you're strictly a blocker on a, on a turnover. <laughs> and uh, there were a few guys on the list, and and some of these guys would come in here. These rookies are coming here lateral, and it's like, oh man, you know, you'd have to talk to Ed and Ray about that because they weren't on the list. But <laughs> hey, the one that I, I was, and I, this is a negative play, but the, we had a Colts game late in the year, and we were fighting for the playoffs, and and we and then we made them punt, and they punted to about the fifty, and really. You know, if we just get tackled there, Ed gets tackled there, we could have had one completion and kicked a field goal and, and won the game, as I recall it. But he tried a lateral, and it went on the ground, and they recovered it, you know, and he came off the field, and I just I just said to him, I said, Ed, I said, Ed, I said, Ed, you know, when do I get a good lateral? When do <laughs> when I, I get, get a good, good lateral? <laughs> and he laughed about it, you know, because, you know, you got to realize, I mean, you got those kind of players that, that make those kind of plays, sometimes you've got to live with the play that doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that's part of the deal. You know what? We had Ray on the other day, and we got into the lateral thing with him, and he just laughed. He said, you got to remember, and this is before you, John, he said, the offense was a little wanting. He tried, he tried to couch it, but he said the offense was a little wanting, so we kind of had this attitude of, hey, if we get our hands on the ball, we got to do something with it because <laughs> those guys might not. Well, think, I, I do it to this day, and I'm the only one around still, I think, so I, I'm the only guy that does it at practice, but at practice, when I first got here, they would get a turnover, and the whole defense would yell, score! So that must <laughs> yeah. be what they're talking about, because like, this is the only way we're going to score. Yeah. So score now, this is our chance. And so whenever the defense gets a turnover now, I scream out, score! I think it's just inbred now. I'm, I've been trained properly by those guys. Hey, John, it's hard to... I'm going to put you on the spot here, but of all the greatness you saw from Ed, is there a play, a moment that will always stand out to you uh, with, with his... Hall of Fame career? You know, we talked about, you know, the interception in Miami, the one in Cincinnati, you know, and those plays have been kind of talked about a lot, you know, and those are the plays. I don't know. I don't know if that's so much it for me. Like, the memory that I have is like kind of more the big picture memory. So, for me, you know, Ed came into the league like in 2002, I think, and I was coaching in Philly. I was coaching special teams, and we already we had Brian Dawkins who had been playing special teams as a Pro Bowl safety for us and doing a great job. And then all of a sudden I started hearing about this kid down in Baltimore, this, this Ed Reed kid, you know, and how he was the next kind of next guy, the next safety. And, you know, I was like, well, yeah, okay, but we got Brian Dawkins, you know, and I started watching him. And, and we played him uh, in the preseason, then we played him in the regular season, and this guy's on special teams. And he mm-hmm. is rushing punts, this guy, number 20. On the edge, and not just him. They got this other guy, Adelius Thomas. No, oh, yeah, ninety-six. And he up over the center, <laughs> running over the center, rushing punts. It's like, oh my gosh, how are we going to block these two guys? And we did it. You know, we just grabbed him and tackled him. I think. You know, that's the thing. It's like he's returning punts, he's blocking punts, he's getting yeah. interceptions, he's he's tackling people. I mean, you know, what does this guy not do? You know, and then the, you know, you got now you got back to back years, Brian Dawkins and then Ed Reed going into the Hall of Fame, I just look back and shake my head. You know, God is good. Yeah. God has plans for us beyond our wildest imaginations. 
Uh, I know Ed would agree with that. So what a wonderful deal. Ed Reed was simply the best ever at turning a turnover into a defensive touchdown. And the guy that might get it next year, Troy Palomalu, is right there with him. But they changed what safeties could do. They made safeties offensive weapons, guys that could score points and create plays back down the other end of the field. Ed Reed, every bit deserving of a Hall of Fame bust in Canton. Now, Ezekiel Elliott has had a couple of wonderful years to begin his career, and if he kept this up, maybe he would end up in Canton as well, but not yet, young fella. And he's holding out for more money, as we know, for the Dallas Cowboys. It's the holdout the entire world keeps talking about every single day, including yours truly. But now Stephen Jones, second in charge to Jerry Jones of the organization, says that he's not going to just set the market with a record-breaking contract for Zeke or Amari Cooper or Dak Prescott because there's a value to just being a Dallas Cowboy. What does that exactly mean? Here's Sean and RJ on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. There's an inherent value to being a cowboy it's not monetary okay because you have to actually do something with it um it's not but it does mean more to be a a a winner on duke the lakers the yankees and the cowboys yeah yeah, that means more for the most part yeah yeah for the most part um you know it like you 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 become popular you do there's no doubt about that uh but if you win anywhere you become popular like tom brady can name his job True. You know, um, it, so it's just, it helps. But there's no doubt. There's no doubt. But it is also an arrogant thing to say. It is. And it's, <laughs> it's really, it's, it's players, I don't think players care. They want the money now. They don't want the money, so they want some money and then the hope that they're going to get a, a, uh, a broadcast contract. I mean, there's only so many broadcast jobs. All these guys can't be promised broadcast jobs. I mean, how many are there? There's only a handful of them. Uh, so yeah, it means something. There's no doubt about it. It means something. They've got a big reach. They've got a bigger reach. Um, the the only hat, probably globally, that's 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 more seen than the Cowboys hat is the Yankees hat, and that's only because people go to New York and they think, oh look, there's a New York hat. Right. Steven, we want to be fair. We want our players to feel good about their contract, but at the same time, we don't want to do things that are out of line because we can't afford to be that way. He's talking about the salary cap, of course. Whether it's Dak, Amari, Zeke, they all understand we've got a whole group of young players coming behind them that want to be Cowboys and want to stay here. When we save money, it's not Jerry and I saving Mm -hmm. a dollar. It's just money that's going to another player. We are very convicted that we're going to get these deals done. And he was asked, after Michael Thomas got $20 million a year yesterday from the Saints, does that raise the price for Amari? No. I think it's probably in line with what we were thinking. I've got a little better numbers than that. We've drilled down on it and got some good numbers. It doesn't change the number for Amari because Amari's on the level of Michael Thomas. Russell Wilson doesn't change the number for Dak because Dak's on the level of Russell Wilson. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because maybe this comment is going to be overblown because it doesn't really apply. It only applies to Zeke, really. It applies to Zeke. It applies to Tank. Well, not even applies to Tank. Right. Tank's not on the level of Kulimak. Um, like Steven may... It may apply to Jalen. It might. Vanderesh, maybe. maybe. You know, um... So yeah, it doesn't Blake really, Jarwin, who's going to be the best tight end in the league it, here in a couple of years. It doesn't really apply to them. The Cowboys, though, have to make the decision. Does Carson Wentz's deal apply to Dak? And does, does Odell Beckham's deal apply no. to Amari? Odell's does not apply to Amari. 
Now, look, there is an ancillary benefit to being a cowboy because you are more famous by playing in bigger games in terms of Sunday night football matchups, Monday night football nationally televised games, the Thanksgiving game. There's a tension of the Cowboys that there isn't on a lot of other franchises. But, I mean, give me a break because, let's face it, the Cowboys haven't played in a Super Bowl in 25 years, and that's really where you earn your stripes from a celebrity standpoint. So anybody on the Cowboys as a Cowboy can't say they even play in Super Bowls, let alone NFC Championship games and Super Bowls. And that's kind of important. So before you start playing that card, like this is Roger Staubach or Tony Dorsett or Michael Irvin, Emmett Smith, and Troy Aikman, let's remember, Stephen Jones, being a Cowboy only has a value right now in Dallas because outside of that, unless you play in Super Bowls, you can't be considered a brand maker like, say, the New England Patriots or the Pittsburgh Steelers or other teams that play there regularly. College hoops, Penny Hardaway has changed the paradigm for Memphis and the Tigers. He's got top-line recruiting classes coming in. He's got top-of-the-line recruits that nationally getting recruited by teams like Kentucky and Kansas and other Blue Bloods in college basketball. And so Penny Hardaway walks in, and apparently he's got a smile on his face, and why wouldn't he? Penny joins Jason and John on 92.9 in Memphis. How much fun is this right now just for Penny Hardaway on August 1st? Well, it's a lot of fun Man. when you have talent. You know, you have, a, you have a lot of young athletic talent. And to be able to have all these different pieces to go along with what we have coming back from, uh, from last year, uh, it's a coach's dream. Of course, we've got to put it all together. But to be able to be in there and see the possibilities of matchups and, and lineups and things of that nature of what we're going to be able to different lineups we'll be able to play this year is uh, it's fun as a coach. You know, I've been, I've been, it feels like Lance is a wild card. We know you trust him. We've sort of seen the relationship. I heard you speak very highly of him. What kind of role, just because we don't know him as much, what kind of role do you foresee for Lance Thomas? Well, first of all, we need him to be a leader okay. uh, because he came uh, came here uh, understanding the game, hadn't played at, hadn't played at, uh, at Louisville, uh, having to sit out a year understand what our style is. He was our hardest worker last year by a long shot. Mm. Um, he's our best shot blocker last year. He wants to win. He wants to play. He's going to have a significant, uh, a big role for us this year because we're going to lean on him a lot. Coach, did you by chance uh, see Jeff Goodman's poll from last week? Uh, I think I saw the poll. The poll when they rated the coaches. Well, the, they, feared, they asked who it? was the most feared recruiter in college basketball, and, and obviously okay. uh, you, were, you were the top vote getter. Uh, you beat out Coach K, you beat out Coach Cal, you beat out Sean Miller. Um, what did you think of that poll and, and you getting most of the votes? Well, the first thing I thought about was my staff. Honestly, I didn't think about myself. I thought about how hard and you know Tony Matlock worked, uh, Mike Miller and Sam Mitchell, all of us worked uh, on the countless hours of trying to get relationships with these kids and their parents. And to me, that's, that's what that, that attests to not just me. I don't look at it as me doing it. Uh, but I do, you know, appreciate the respect of them saying, you know, being the most feared to recruit against because, you know, me and my staff, we did an unbelievable job last year to be able to get the number one recruiting class. So when I see that, I know that's just his opinion, but it's an opinion that, that counts in, the, in our world. So I'm definitely uh, honored by that, but also proud that, you know, I knew I was picking the right staff when I, when I, when I got those guys. Man, and apparently with Cody Topper, we've talked to some NBA guys, Penny, uh, that said he's the, he was the best development guy in the NBA. And you brought him to your. Have you seen that? Have you? Have you? you do you see the results Absolutely. already in these workouts? Absolutely. Man? I, I actually, uh, you know, I talked to Cody on the phone for uh, like a month. Mm-hmm. 
and I grilled him every single day on different things, and every answer he gave was with energy, with positivity. Yeah. Uh, how would you work this out, Cody? He worked. I mean, everything. He's just a he's a brilliant guy that understands the game. He's a people's person. He's a hard worker. All of that goes into him being driven to be, you know, the best coach. And I want every coach on my staff to feel like they're the greatest at what they do, and we're all the greatest at what we do and what we bring to the table. And Cody is is, is excellent. In terms of the way that you look at the Bahamas trip, Penny, is it about chemistry? Like, is this mostly just about getting everybody, you know, their first true quote-unquote road trip? Um, or are you actually, you know, hoping to take some things out of on-court stuff in the Bahamas? Like, what's the balance there with, with this trip coming up? Yeah, it's going to be a couple things for me, for sure. Uh, the chemistry on uh, who's out there on the floor, uh, the energy that they give, uh, when things aren't going well, how they're going to respond, because we have a young team. Uh, and these kids have all been the man on their team, and we have a lot of talent. Um, just going to notice those things. And then also to bond. When you go on trips like this where you have one place, you're at one place, and everybody's there every day, and we're doing fun stuff together, you begin to understand who your brother is um, off the court, on the court, you know, and, you know, it becomes you, you get closer. And uh, that's what I'm looking for this trip to be uh, a well-rounded trip for us overall. So let's see if it works, man. I mean, Penny can get the kids. He's got the recruits. He's got the recruiting classes. He's great at the AAU circuit, having coached there and in high school in the Memphis area. He's obviously a basketball legend, and that marks for something, definitely. But you now got to turn that into wins. And a program that just keeps getting top-end talent but not turning it into victories and NCAA tournaments and then deep tournament runs doesn't usually get that talent anymore. Right now, Penny's hot. But he's got to win with that program talent. Let's see if he can do it. But for now, yeah, a lot of reason to smile around that Tigers program. Finally, the passing of a legend, NFL Pro Football Hall of Famer Nick Bonacani was a member of the no-name defense of the undefeated Miami Dolphins in 72 and the follow-up repeat champions in 1973. He passed away yesterday, and Nick Bonacani's legacy is remarkable and how deep it is. It's not just football. It's business, it's being an agent, it's on the football field, and it's trying to cure paralysis. I mean, he did absolutely everything. Here's a guy that knew him well, former Dolphin himself, Joe Rose, on WQAM in Miami with Zach Kranz. Finn's Hall of Fame middle linebacker, 878, passed yesterday. Big part of the undefeated team, actually a Hall of Fame. The only guy in that no-name defense to, to be a Hall of Famer. And, and, you know, as good as Nick was on the field, it, it's incredible. I don't know if we've ever had a guy that's made it to the Hall of Fame that's done more from the day he left football. I mean, he apparently didn't go through that one-year withdrawal about what am I going to do now. He didn't go through what the other 90% of us went through. He had a uh, pretty good game plan, attorney, agent. Uh, then after his son, Mark Bonacani, had his neck injury, then he jumped into the Miami Project and raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, president of a tobacco company. I mean, my God, the, the list goes on of, of things that he was involved with. First of all, any guy that plays that sport knowing that Shula wants 100% of your time year-round, especially when you're a middle linebacker, yep. you become an attorney. 
It's, it's very, very, it's amazing. That's a, one thing about them. We got a zillion attorneys on. They're a lot of education. You can't shortchange them. You may not like them all, and there's some sleazy ones out there, but you you can't get on them for the amount of education and right all the stuff that you got to go to to uh, to be an attorney. So, uh, so with all that said, too, he was also the co-host on Inside the NFL no, for how many right. years? A lot of people knew him for that. You know, because right. he was there for that. Who did he do that with? Lynn Dawson? It was Lynn and... Dawson and him for years. They had that thing. And, uh, yeah, so he just really, really had his plate full with uh, stuff that, that he's done and and uh, and everything else. So, But uh, the, the work that he and Dr. Barth Green have done at the Miami Project uh, has been fantastic and had a chance to go down there when Doug Betters was down there and spend a lot of time while Doug was in there after Doug had his accident. And uh, he came back here to rehab and 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 get going again. It was uh, just amazing, and it all goes back to Nick Bonacon. He's a big, big part of everything. Right. So, thirteenth uh, round pick in the nineteen sixty two AFL draft, and he was a member of the Boston Patriots. My old football right. cards were all Boston Patriots. He's in the New England Patriots Hall of Fame, the Miami Dolphins honor roll. He's, he's two different teams. Listen, you get that jacket, you uh, you kind of bounce right, around, and right. of course the the seventeen and zero. I mean, it's one thing I would like to have a a championship ring, but to have it say seventeen and zero on it, He's I know the they guys that have the perfect on there. Got to win more games now yeah. to do it, and and everything else. But man, that's uh, that's impressive stuff with uh, with Nick. We're uh, a lot of guys, and listen to a lot of the guys that played with him yesterday. Really, you're gonna miss. He's a go getter, man. He was a fireball leader, jumped in there and took over. And when he talked, everybody kind of stopped and you wanted to hear. When he ripped the team when they were bad years back, everybody kind of like, oh, all right, now it's now it's not somebody that always complains about the team. It's it's Nick Bonacani. Oh, shoot. The Shula statue, that that's Nick holding him up, right? Is Nick one of those guys that's holding him up in that statue? You got me on that one. I think that's what it was. I, I, that's why I remember him also from that. I thought that I saw him on the statue. He is one of the few guys that would go in and tell Shula was stubborn outside of go F yourself. I mean, that, <laughs> that's a great story. That's a different level Holy that I'm. Moly. That was a different level. When I was getting mofoed by Coach Shula, even if I knew I was right and he was 100% wrong, I would have never have had the you-know-whats. They weren't big enough on my body to go, hey, F you, because I would have been home. As soon as the U oh, yeah. came out, I'd yeah. add, here's your ticket. Get out of here. You can leave. Yeah. That's what would have happened. Go there. back and, yeah. and find something else to do. So Nick and Dwight are the only two stories that we hear of him going yeah, to the but, office. Yeah, but right? Dwight came out. and Dwight Two said, pretty good players. Dwight said never again. <laughs> <laughs> there is no legacy like Nick Bonacani's because Nick did it all. Lawyer, agent, business, pro football Hall of Famer, and on top of that, his battle to cure paralysis because of his son, who was paralyzed back in the mid-'80s playing football. And Nick Bonacani is simply put, one of the most amazing former athletes ever and really one of the most amazing people ever that were in and around sports. That's the best of your sports talk. It's Around the Dial for Thursday, August the 1st. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.